0: Chapter 12 of The Pirate Island, A Story of the South Pacific by Harry Collinwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On Albatross Island On the following morning, all hands on board the brig were stirring early, and, assisted by a strong party from the shore, first moved the vessel down to the bottom of the bay until she took the ground on a beautiful level sandy bottom, and then began to discharge her. Her cargo comprised a most extraordinary collection of heterogeneous articles, including three pianofortes, two of which were in packing cases, whilst the other had evidently been taken from a ship's cabin, several cases of arms, a large quantity of powder and lead, bales of silk, a few kegs of Spanish dollars, fifty ingots of gold and as many of silver, several cases of machinery, a large boiler in sections, an immense quantity of provisions of various kinds, ten brass nine-pounder guns taken out of a Spanish ship, several boxes of clothing, and a large quantity of new rope, bolts of canvas, sails, which from their size had evidently never been made for the brig, cases of furniture, etc., etc. These articles were all landed in boats and conveyed with more or less difficulty up to one of the large buildings before mentioned, and there housed. There was great jubilation among the men at the sight of so rich a cargo, Raleigh, the Greek, quite laying aside his former moroseness of manner and exhibiting an almost childish delight at the sight of the bullion and the kegs of dollars. The men worked hard all day, and by sunset more than half the brig's cargo was on shore. It was not difficult, however, to detect that among these men there were a few, perhaps a dozen, who took no interest in their labour manifesting very little curiosity as to the nature of the articles which they were handling, and working solely because they had no other choice. These our friends rightly conjectured to be prisoners who had not chosen to cast in their lot with the pirates. Early in the day that portion of the party from the Galatea, in which we are more immediately interested, had been conveyed on shore under Johnson's own protection, and taken up to one of the smaller buildings which stood on the beach with the intimation that they were at liberty to occupy it. It was a small two-story building constructed of wood, the upper floor being reached through a trap door, which was led up to by a wooden step ladder. This floor, like the one below, consisted of a single room and was lighted by two windows, one at each end, the two longer walls of the room being fitted with three tiers of bunks, similar to those found on board ship. The ground floor was fitted up with a fireplace, shelves all round the room, a rough deal table, and two long benches, and had evidently been used as a general living room. The place was wretchedly dirty, and on being inducted into it, the first act of the men was to procure an abundance of soap and water, and set vigorously to work to give it a thorough cleansing. This occupied them all the morning. At noon a bell rang, which was the signal for all hands to knock off work and get their dinner. The messman of each gang going to the galley, a small building near the store, and drawing from the cook a sufficient quantity of food for the party to which he belonged. Bob, who with the carpenter had been duly liberated according to promise, cheerfully took upon himself the duties of messman for the party to which he belonged, and presenting himself with the others, he obtained without difficulty the wherewithal to set before our friends a very respectable meal. While they were at dinner, Lance tore a leaf out of his pocket book and jotted down the various articles such as bedding, crockery, and utensils of various kinds which they required, and on the completion of the list he hurried away with it to Johnson, who at once wrote at its foot an order to the storekeeper for the issue of the articles named. These were soon conveyed to the hut, and by sunset they had the place in very tolerable order. Now that they were on shore, however, they felt that the time had arrived when a little more privacy could be enjoyed by the ladies of the party. So a few boards were obtained, and with them a partition knocked up, dividing the upper room into two equal parts, the half which was approached through the trapdoor being devoted to the ladies, while the men obtained access to their sleeping apartment by means of a ladder and the open window, the ladder being drawn up into the room at night. At six o'clock the bell rang again, upon which all hands knocked off work for the day, and after half an hour devoted to cleaning up, etc., tea, or supper, as most of the men termed it, was served on this particular evening however there was a slight deviation from the usual order of procedure the messmen being detained at the galley until all were present instead of being served and dispatched in the order of their arrival when johnson made his appearance on the scene and announced that the kegs of dollars landed that day from the brig would be distributed in the capstan house that evening at eight o'clock and that any of the prisoners not yet belonging to the brotherhood who chose to present themselves there at that hour and would sign the Bond of Brotherhood, would be entitled to an equal share of the spoil. Bob duly mentioned this item of information on his arrival with the Viands, and it was at once decided that, as all the pirates would thus be engaged for some time, advantage should be taken of so favorable an opportunity to give the ladies a little fresh air and exercise. They waited until all the pirates appeared to have betaken themselves to the Capstan house, and then sallied out in a body upon an exploring expedition up the valley. It was a lovely night, as light as day, the full moon riding high overhead in an unclouded sky, and so flooding the heavens with her silvery light that only a few stars of the first magnitude were visible. There was very little wind, and a heavy dew was falling, but that, after the hardship of exposure in an open boat, was a trifle so insignificant that it attracted no one's attention." The walk was a most enjoyable one to all, but it was especially delightful to three couples who early paired off together, and in a quiet, unostentatious fashion dropped into the rear. Captain and Mrs. Staunton had naturally much to say to each other upon matters interesting only to themselves, while as for Violet and Rex, Blanche and Lance, this was their first opportunity for an exchange of these sweet nothings in which lovers delight since the eventful evening on which they had been driven out by the flames from the unfortunate Galatea. Tempted by the beauty of the night, they strayed a long distance, and when at length they returned to the hut, weary with the unaccustomed exercise but happier than they had been for a long time, the settlement was wrapped in the silence of repose. On the following morning, immediately after breakfast, Johnson presented himself, with the request that Lance, Captain Staunton, and the carpenter would accompany him on a visit to the Prizes, for the purpose of deciding which of them should be broken up to build the new schooner. Two of these vessels were barks, and one a full-rigged ship. The ship was teak-built, and an unmistakable East Indiaman. While of the barks, one was oak-built and copper-fastened, and the other a soft-wood vessel put together with iron. The oak-built ship was nearly new, the copper which covered her bottom up to the bends had not a wrinkle on its entire surface, and her deck planking showed no signs of wear, but she was modeled for carrying rather than for speed. It was therefore decided without much hesitation that she should be the one to be broken up. The next point to be settled was the position of the building yard. Lance had given this matter a great deal of quiet consideration, and had come to the conclusion that for many reasons it would be better to have the yard as far away as possible from the rest of the settlement, one consideration which greatly weighed with him being the possibility that their best chance of escape might be in launching the schooner on the quiet during the night and taking her from the stocks direct to sea. Johnson had already made up his mind that the best site for the stocks would be on the sandy beach immediately in front of the Capstan house, and there was a great deal to be said in favor of this a carpenter shop being already in existence close to the spot, and all the cordage and tackle of every description being stored in the capstan house. But this did not at all chime in with Lance's plans, so he merely remarked that it would do well enough if no better place could be found, but that the flatness of the ground and the consequent shoal water at that spot would prove serious difficulties in the way of launching and that it would be advisable, before deciding, to give the entire shore of the bay a very careful examination. Some hours were accordingly spent in this work, and a site was at last fixed upon in a locality thoroughly favorable to Lance's secret wishes. This was a small indentation in the harbor face of the breakwater rock, which marked the entrance to the bay. This indentation was about an acre and a half in extent, with a smooth rocky floor sloping down into the water, at an inclination of just the right gradient for the launching ways. It is true it was a long way away from the settlement, but Lance's arguments in favor of adopting it were so convincing that Johnson was fain to give way, which he at last did with a very good grace. This matter settled, Lance intimated that he should like to devote a little more time to the examination of the rock, as it appeared to him that here was the proper place to construct the battery, which was to defend the harbor. They accordingly climbed with great difficulty to the highest point of the rock, which was immediately behind or to seaward of the future shipyard, and which had an elevation of nearly a 100 feet above the sea level. The top of the rock was very irregular in shape, but Lance soon saw that a few charges of powder judiciously placed would give them a nearly circular platform of about 60 feet diameter, which would be ample space for such a battery as he proposed to construct. His first idea had been to evade the construction of this battery altogether, if possible, but a little reflection had shown him that a time might come when its existence would be of the utmost importance to themselves, and he therefore decided to go on with the work. He accordingly pointed out to Johnson the strength of the position they occupied, the complete command over the harbor entrance which a battery would have at that point, and the effective defense it would constitute to the new shipyard and the pirate was speedily convinced of the soundness of lance's views these points settled the party returned to the bottom of the bay and johnson then invited lance to present himself at eight o'clock that evening in the capstan house there to submit his plans for the new schooner to a committee of the pirates for approval the drawings were in fact scarcely ready but by working hard for the remainder of the day not only were they completed but the carpenter had also prepared a half model of the hull by the hour at which the committee was to meet, and, armed with these, Lance, Captain Staunton, and the carpenter duly presented themselves at the capstan house at eight o'clock. They were met at the door by Johnson, who conducted them up a step ladder into an apartment in the first floor of the building. It was a room about sixty feet long by forty feet broad, and was apparently used as a sort of general assembly room, being fitted up with rows of benches from the door right up to a platform at the further end. On this platform there stood, upon the present occasion, a large table lighted by a pair of handsome lamps, and surrounded by a dozen chairs, some of which were already occupied when Lance and his companions entered. Our friends quietly seated themselves, Lance on one side of Johnson, Captain Staunton on the other, with the trusty carpenter next to him. Johnson then ordered the bell to be rung to summon the laggards, and in a few minutes afterwards the entire committee, some eight men in all, had assembled johnson then rose to address the party he remarked that they were already aware of the purpose for which they had been summoned namely to inspect the plans of a new schooner which he proposed to have built but he had been led to understand that doubts had been expressed in certain quarters here he glanced at raleigh as to the necessity for such a proceeding and he had therefore invited them there to meet him in order that he may lay before them his views upon the matter and answer such questions as any of them might wish to put to him. He then cited several unsuccessful chases in which he had engaged, as well as his recent narrow escape from the frigate, as evidence in support of his assertion that not only their profit, but their actual safety depended upon their becoming possessed of a much faster vessel than the albatross, as speedily as might be, winding up his speech by requesting that each man present would give the committee the benefit of his views on the matter in hand. A somewhat excited debate then ensued, Raleigh making himself especially conspicuous by his opposition to Johnson, but in the end the latter succeeded in carrying his point, and the construction of the vessel was definitely decided upon. Lance was then called upon to submit his drawings for inspection, which he forthwith did, explaining at the same time the peculiarities of the design. The vessel he proposed to build was to have a broad, shallow hull, with a very deep keel and her water-lines were simply faultless there was a considerable difference of opinion as to the desirability of having a vessel of that type but lance who was anxious above all things to build a craft which would carry his party safely comfortably and speedily home provided they should be so fortunate as to obtain possession of her ably combated all adverse criticism in which he was ably seconded by johnson who seemed greatly taken with the design and in the end they had their own way this important point being settled, the meeting broke up, and on the following morning the first step was taken toward carrying the work into execution. The vessel which had been selected for breaking up was unmoored and brought close in to the shore abreast the Capstan house, where she was anchored. A strong party was then told off for the purpose of loading her, under the joint superintendence of Lance, Johnson, Captain Staunton, and the carpenter of the Galatea, who went by the name of Kit, short for Christopher. Lance requisitioned the stores of the pirates with the utmost freedom, taking everything he thought likely to be in the least degree useful, and in this way three days were consumed. On the fourth day the hulk was once more unmoored, and with three boats ahead, towed to the rock at the mouth of the harbor and grounded upon it. The work of landing the stores and materials then commenced, and when these had all been conveyed safely ashore, the erection of workshops, etc., was begun and it was at this period that Johnson began to realize for the first time how valuable an acquisition to his band he had gained in the persons of Lance, Rex, Brooke, and Kit. The three first were quite in their element when it came to the designing and erecting of the various buildings and of the battery, which was at the same time commenced, whilst Kit displayed an amount of intelligence in the carrying out of their instructions, which was beyond all praise. Johnson chuckled with inward satisfaction, and made certain secret resolves, but he said nothing. Meanwhile, the albatross had been careened, her copper stripped off where necessary, and replaced after caulking the planking underneath. The copper had been scoured all over, down to the very keel, until it shone like gold. The topsides had been caulked, then the deck, the hull repainted inside and out, and when the buildings at the new dockyard were about being begun, the spars, sails, and rigging of the brig— were in process of undergoing a thorough overhaul. It looked very much as though the albatross would be ready for sea in another fortnight at the outside, while Lance estimated that, with the strength then at his command, it would be at least a month before the keel of the schooner could possibly be laid. Now Johnson had set his heart upon seeing this done before he sailed. When, therefore, he found that it would be quite impossible unless he strongly augmented Lance's working party, he took half the men working upon the brig and turned them over to the dockyard gang, with the result that the work on the brig was retarded while that at the shipyard was expedited so greatly as to ensure the gratification of his wish. So eager was he to hasten on the building of the schooner that he even proposed the abandonment of the old settlement at the bottom of the bay, and the establishment of a new one on the rock itself. This, however, by no means suited Lance's views. It would be manifestly impossible to launch and make off with the schooner if they were to be environed by a gang of men, every one of whom would be sure to regard the newcomers with more or less of suspicion and distrust. So Lance threw out a few mysterious hints about secret passages and hidden chambers beneath the battery and in the heart of the rocks, which for Johnson's own individual sake, it would be wise to keep from the knowledge of all but those actually engaged in constructing them. And by this means he managed to avert the threatened transfer the thought occurred to him that possibly the Galatea party might be more safe if quartered upon the rock, and thus entirely separated from the pirates. But on reconsidering the question and talking it over with the others, the conclusion arrived at was that the rock was an exposed and sterile spot for a habitation, in addition to which it possessed other disadvantages, and that perhaps, for the present, it would be better not to propose it. At length the eventful day arrived on which the ceremony of laying the keel of the new schooner was to be performed, the pieces of timber of which it was to be composed, some of which had already formed part of the keel of the old ship, had all been shaped, the blocks laid in position, and every other preparation fully made, and nothing remained but to lay down the keel pieces on the blocks placed ready for their reception, and to bolt them together. In the fulness of his delight, Johnson resolved that the day should be a regular fete day, and accordingly on the morning in question the shipyard was gaily dressed with flags, of more than one nationality which were hoisted upon poles hastily set up for the purpose and all hands clean-shaven and dressed in their best prepared to assist in the ceremony the proceedings were inaugurated by johnson who attired in the full uniform of a captain of the american navy took up a position on one of the keel blocks and from thence made an animated address to his followers in which he rapidly sketched the history of the band from the day on which they had entered upon their present career by taking from their officers the Amazon T. Clipper, in which they had sailed from China for England, down to the present time. He reminded them of the difficulties and misfortunes with which they had been obliged to contend, how they had unfortunately lost the Amazon upon an island some hundreds of miles to the westward of their present position, how they had been compelled to leave the island in open boats, of the sufferings which they subsequently endured, and how by a lucky accident they were finally enabled to obtain possession of the albatross. He next dwelt upon the good fortune which had since attended them, the many valuable prizes they had taken, the rich store of booty they had accumulated, and the steady augmentation of the numbers of the brotherhood. Then, giving free rein to his fancy, he enlarged upon his plans for the future. What had already been done was, he said, nothing, a simple preliminary effort, a mere trial of strength compared with what he would do he would never be satisfied he informed them until he could finally lead them all out of that harbor on board a fleet of at least ten well-armed swift and fully manned ships in which it would be possible for them to ravage the entire coast of spanish south america despoiling the rich towns and laughing at all opposition in this way he promised them he would place them in possession of such an unheard-of amount of treasure that every man among them should be worth his millions after which by following a plan which he would unfold to them at the proper time they could quietly disband and settle down for the remainder of their lives each man on that particular spot of earth which pleased him best in the peaceful enjoyment of his well-earned gold and they were assembled there that day he added in conclusion to lay the keel of the first of the ten clippers by which this glorious result was to be accomplished it was an eloquent and masterly speech. Johnson was most accurately acquainted with the characters of those who surrounded him. He was making a great bid for the recovery of that popularity which in some unexplained way, but largely through the machinations of Alec Raleigh, he shrewdly suspected, had been steadily slipping away from him, and he believed that the making of such dazzling promises as he had just indulged in was the surest way of winning it back." and if vociferous and tumultuous cheering was to be taken as an indication of success, the pirate chief had every cause to be gratified. The enthusiasm was intense. Cheer after cheer rent the air. The men shook hands all round and then pressed forward, hustling each other, eager to perform the same ceremony with Johnson, vowing as they did so, the blindest and most unswerving fidelity to him, and calling down the most frightful imprecations upon all traitors." Raleigh stood at some little distance in the background, his arms folded across his chest, and a cynical smile wreathing his lips. All right, he muttered. Go on and shout yourselves hoarse, you swine. Yell, cheer, and swear fidelity until you are out of breath, if it pleases you so to do. I like to see and hear it, for what is it, after all, but froth? You are all in a ferment just now, "'and it is best that this noisy gas should have its vent. "'You will soon sober down again, and then we shall see. "'As for you,' he continued with a furtive scowl at Johnson, "'whose face beamed with gratification. "'You have had your day, and, blind bad as you are, "'you are beginning to see it just for a moment. "'But this fine speech of yours has thrown you off your guard again. "'You doubtless think that, with a few empty boastful words, "'you have recovered your lost position.' but you are mistaken, my good friend, as you will find out when you return from your next cruise, if indeed you ever return at all. Well, enjoy your own opinion while you can. Rejoice in the ease with which you have re-established yourself. I shall not attempt to undeceive you, at least just now. So I will go and add my plaudits to those of the herd. Pa! And he spat contemptuously on the ground as he moved forward to shake Johnson cordially by the hand. Order being at length restored, the ceremony of laying the keel was proceeded with. The several pieces were already on the ground, properly shaped, with bolt holes bored, the bolts fitted, and, in short, every preparation made for fastening them together. And now, at a word from Johnson, a hundred eager hands seized the heavy timbers, and, under Lance's superintendence, placed them upon the blocks. The joints were next brought closely together, the bolts inserted the perfect straightness of the entire length of keel accurately tested and finally the bolts were all simultaneously driven home and the keel laid amidst the deafening cheers of the pirates and the roar of a battery of guns which had been placed temporarily in position to do due honour to the ceremony the men were then served with an extra allowance of grog after which they were dismissed to amuse themselves in any way they pleased for the remainder of the day Johnson saw fit to leave the shipyard in the boat, which conveyed Lance, Captain Staunton, and the rest of the Galatea party back to the settlement at the bottom of the bay. And it was evident during the passage that he was most anxious to make himself agreeable, and to leave behind him a favorable impression. At last, when the boat was nearing the beach at which the party intended to land, he said to Lance, "'Look here, Colonel, I've been thinking about them folk of yourn. They must find it mighty lonesome here, with nothing much to do.' "'Do you think it'd please them if I was to send one of them pianers to your diggins? "'Cause if you do, they shall have one. "'The cussed things ain't no use to us, "'and I don't hardly know what I fetched them along for.' "'Thank you very much,' said Lance. "'I have no doubt a little music now and then would prove a solace to them. "'Indeed, it would make the evenings much more pleasant for us all, "'and if you feel disposed to spare us an instrument, "'we shall remember you all the more gratefully.' "'Then you may consider it done,' Johnson replied, "'as the boat's keel grated on the beach "'and the party stepped ashore. "'Come up to the capstan house with me, "'and you can choose which you will have, "'and I will send it along at once.' "'Lance accordingly proceeded to the capstan house with Johnson, "'while the remainder of the party "'wended their way straight to the hut, "'well pleased at what they considered a mark "'of great consideration on the part of the pirate chief. "'When Lance found himself alone with his companion,' he thought it would be a favourable opportunity to prefer a request which had been in his mind for several days, but which he had had no previous chance of mentioning. "'I am glad,' he said, "'to have this opportunity of thanking you, Captain, in the name of our party, for all you have done for our comfort, under circumstances which I could not fail to perceive have been somewhat trying to you. I now want to ask you to add one favour more, and that is, to supply us with a sufficiency of arms and ammunition to enable us to defend ourselves, if need be, in your absence. Whilst you are on the island, we feel ourselves to be safe, but I confess I am not altogether without doubts as to the treatment which we may receive at the hands of your Greek friend, Raleigh, after your departure. And it would add very greatly to our feeling of security in your absence, if we were provided with the means of resisting any attempt at unfair dealing on his part." "'I presume it is unnecessary for me to say "'that we should only use the weapons "'in a case of absolute necessity?' "'Well, now, Colonel,' said Johnson. "'What you ask is fair enough, "'and for my own part, "'I'd be willing enough to let you have all you want. "'But I vow I don't just see exactly how I'm to do it. "'The key of the arm chest is in the armorer's pocket, "'and I can't issue anything out of that chest "'without his knowledge. "'Now, I know that cuss. "'He's no friend of mine.' "'and he'd just go straight away and tell Raleigh what I'd done. "'And that'd set the Greek dead again, you all, for a certainty, "'and make things just as uncomfortable for you as could be. "'Besides which, Raleigh'd just take them all away from you again "'as soon as my back was turned, "'and then you'd be worse off than ever. "'No, that won't do. "'We'll have to go some other way about it, "'but you leave it to me, General. "'You may bet your pile I'll find out a way to do it before I sail.' Now, which of these boxes of music will you have? They had arrived by this time at the Capstan house and were standing near the pianofortes, all of which had been placed together on the floor of the sail loft, the packing crates having been ripped off and probably used for firewood. Lance ran his fingers over the keyboard of each instrument in turn, striking a few chords and harmonies to test the quality of the tone and touch, and finally selected a superb grand by Broadwood. All right, General, I'll have the darn thing taken down to your quarters to once it. But do you mean to say that you know how to thump music out of them things as well as how to build batteries and ships and so forth? ejaculated Johnson. Well, yes, said Lance laughingly. I believe I must plead guilty to being somewhat of a musician, though I have not touched an instrument for many a day until now. "'Then sit right down there, Colonel, and play me something good,' said Johnson, rolling a nail keg as a seat up to one of the instruments. Lance, thoroughly amused at the comical incongruity of the situation, sat down and rattled off Yankee Doodle, an air which he judged would be likely to find appreciation with his queer companion. Johnson stood for a moment spellbound as the well-remembered strains fell upon his ear. Then a broad grin of delight overspread his features, and finally he began to caper about the sail loft in the most extraordinary manner, and to utter certain unearthly sounds which Lance fancied was Johnson's idea of singing. Something else! Gimme some more, the pirate captain exclaimed rapturously, when his entertainer at length raised his fingers from the keyboard. Whereupon Lance began to play and sing, Hail Columbia. Johnson stood still and silent as a statue now. The stirring strange touched an altogether different chord of his memory, and for an instant something suspiciously like a tear glistened in his eye. "'Thank you,' he said very quietly when Lance had finished. "'That will do now. I would rather not hear any more at present. "'Let me keep the sound of that song in my mind as long as I can. "'My little maid at home used to sing that to me. "'But look here,' he added, as Lance closed the instrument. "'If you wish to be on good terms with the men after I am gone,' have them all up in the meeting room sometimes of an evening, and treat them to a little music. They will appreciate that, and you could do nothing more likely to win their regard. Why shouldn't you give them, give us all, a concert tonight, today being a holiday? Lance hesitated for a moment before making answer to this strange and unexpected proposal. To tell you the truth, he said at last, I am afraid your people will be hardly in a mood tonight to appreciate such music as I could give them. THE GROG WILL HAVE GOT INTO THEIR HEADS, AND THEY WILL BE MORE INCLINED TO SING AMONG THEMSELVES THAN TO SIT QUIETLY TO LISTEN TO ME. NOT AT ALL, ANSWERED JOHNSON, WHO, NOW THAT A SERIOUS MOOD WAS UPON HIM, HAD ENTIRELY DROPPED HIS AMERICANISM OF SPEECH. NOT AT ALL. I HAVE TAKEN CARE TO GIVE ORDERS THAT THEY SHALL NOT HAVE SUFFICIENT TO MAKE THEM NOISY. YOU WILL FIND THEM PERFECTLY QUIET AND ORDERLY, AND I CONFESS I SHOULD LIKE TO SEE THE EFFECT OF A LITTLE GENUINE GOOD MUSIC UPON THEM very well answered lance nonchalantly i am sure i have no objection and now that you have mentioned it i confess i feel curious to see the result of so novel an experiment then it is settled said johnson and he forthwith summoned a party of men to some of whom he gave orders to remove to the hut the pianoforte lance had chosen while to others was deputed the task of taking one of the other instruments into the large room used for purposes of general assembly and placing the room in proper order for the evening's entertainment, which was fixed to commence at the orthodox hour of eight o'clock. When Lance Evelyn sauntered into the hut, he was assailed by a general chorus of questions. "'What ridiculous story is this which my husband has been telling us, Mr. Evelyn?' inquired Mrs. Staunton. "'About the piano, you know,' added Violet. "'Is it actually true, Lance, that that absurd creature is really going to let us have one?' chimed in Blanche." It would be a good deal more sensible of him if he would provide us with more comfortable quarters, grumbled Dale. I agree with you there, Dale. It certainly would, said Rex Fortescue. Of course, I am speaking now of the matter as it affects the ladies. For ourselves, we can rough it well enough, but I certainly wish they could be made more comfortable. However, the fellow seems to have done his best for us. I have seen no better building than this in the whole settlement. So I suppose we must endeavor to be content as long as we are obliged to remain here. And as for the piano why it will enable the ladies to beguile an hour or two but it is a queer present to make under the circumstances and the man who made it is certainly a bit of an eccentric You are right replied Evelyn and this gift is by no means his only eccentricity Guess what is his latest request or command I scarcely know which to call it They all decided that it would be utterly impossible for them to guess there was no saying what absurd whim might seize upon such a man They would be surprised at nothing which he might ask, and so on. "'Well, then I will tell you,' said Lance. "'He wishes me to give the men a concert tonight, at eight o'clock, in the assembly room.' "'Oh, Lance, what an extraordinary request!' exclaimed Blanche. "'You will, of course, refuse. You will never trust yourself alone among all those men?' "'Certainly I shall,' answered her lover. "'Why not? There will not be the slightest danger.' the men are not in an excited state by any means, and I have an idea that a little music now and then may increase our popularity among them, and place us on a more secure footing, if indeed it does not enable us to reach and awaken whatever of good may still exist in their breasts. Besides, he added with a gay laugh, I feel curious to see what effect I can produce upon them. "'If you go, Lance, I shall go with you,' said Rex." Violet Dudley glanced quickly and somewhat appealingly at the last speaker, but she had too much spirit to say a word which would keep her lover away from the side of his friend when there was a possibility that that friend might stand in need of help. "'I think I may as well go also,' remarked Captain Staunton. "'It seems hardly fair to leave you all the work to do, Evelyn, when any of the rest of us can help you. I can sing a fairly good song,' I flatter myself, if I am not much of a hand at the piano.' "'and so when you feel tired, I'll give you a spell.' "'All right,' said Lance. "'The more the merrier. "'We shall at least show them that we are no churls. "'Are there any more volunteers?' "'Certainly,' said Bob. "'I'm one, Mr. Evelyn, if you will have me. "'I am something like Captain Staunton. "'I'm no hand at a piano, but I can sing, "'and I know a recitation or two "'which I think may serve to raise a good-humoured laugh.' "'I'm no singer,' said Brooke, "'but I know a few rather taking conjuring tricks.' and I should like to go with you, but perhaps it would be hardly prudent to leave the ladies without any protection, would it? Therefore I think I'll remain to-night, and go some other evening if there is going to be any repetition of this sort of thing. Mr. Dale said nothing. He simply sat moodily plucking at his beard and muttering to himself. By the look of his countenance he was utterly disgusted with the whole proceeding. Thus then it was finally arranged, and at a few minutes before eight o'clock, Lance and his party issued from the hut on their way to the assembly room, which they could see was already brilliantly lighted up. End of chapter 12